This is Pastor Chris, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Real Life Community Church podcast. Unfortunately, yesterday's message did not get recorded. However, I want to give those of you who could not attend service an opportunity to hear the sermon. So I'm actually in my living room re-preaching this message. And with that in mind, I will, it will certainly have a different feel than when I preached it live. But I still think you will find it beneficial and hopefully very encouraging. Well, I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to begin in verse 18. The Bible says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, can you believe that it is December already? We find ourselves immersed in yet another Christmas season. And you know, usually I'm very aware of the nearness of the holiday season, especially when I was a music pastor and would have to start thinking about Christmas music as early as August. This year, to be honest, Christmas kind of snuck up on me. We've been blessed with surprisingly warm weather for the season, and so it just honestly hasn't felt like Christmas. And So I remember it hitting me just before the Thanksgiving holiday that, that Christmas is less than five weeks away, and before that, honestly, it just wasn't even on my radar. So I guess I would say it wasn't I was I was not necessarily in the Christmas spirit because it simply wasn't on my mind. However, it was interesting that upon seeing the first Christmas tree and hearing the first couple of uh, my favorite Christmas carols, I became quickly flooded with Christmas joy and memories, and now I'm absolutely overflowing with Christmas spirit. The reason that I bring this up is because it doesn't take much for most of us to get into the Christmas spirit and to kind of feel those warm and fuzzy feelings that come along with the season. And that is great in one sense, and, and yet in another, it can be dangerous. And here's what I mean. It's good because this season is wonderful, and it should conjure up warm memories and immense joy. But here's where it can be dangerous. Because we can so effortlessly get into the Christmas spirit, we often move through this season kind of on autopilot. We know what to do. We know what's expected. We, we really have it down pat. And even when it comes to the Christmas story, the reading of the glorious scriptures about the birth of our Savior, we tend to approach them kind of rather nonchalantly as if to say we've read this over and over. What else could we possibly learn? And as the holiday becomes more and more secularized, its true meaning becomes less and less evident. 
in the midst of gift exchanges and family gatherings and traditions and lots of eating, and, and by the way, all these are wonderful things, it is easy to miss the greatest beauty of Christmas, the fact that God the Creator became a human being. He came to earth to seek and to save the lost. And you know, we have to fight to remember now uh, the, the real meaning of Christmas. When you walk in stores, you don't often hear Hark the Herald Angels Sing or Away in the Manger anymore. What you hear is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Here Comes Santa Claus. And so we have to fight to have our hearts awakened to the real meaning of Christmas. And so I want to challenge each of you to, to really immerse yourself in the scriptures this year and the real meaning of Christmas. And I pray that all of our hearts will be awakened to that real meaning. To kind of help me recapture uh, the, just the, the wonder of the Christmas story, I've been reading a, a new book by Dr. Tim Keller called Hidden Christmas, and it has really moved me, particularly the chapter that addresses the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And, and Keller, through his teaching of the Christmas scriptures, has really inspired this Advent series, and I hope these truths really pierce your heart as they have mine. Emmanuel is, is a name that we are familiar with. We sing about it. We read about it. But we rarely give it much thought. As a matter of fact, I was talking with one of our staff members who was working his job, and he said a customer came in and kind of asked him, you know, what, what, does, what is the significance of Emmanuel? What does that really mean? And he said, honestly, Pastor, I didn't have a good answer for her. And so I want us to, to give it a, a lot of thought today. It's profound and it really deserves our attention. And, and so I want to spend actually the next three weeks, including today, uh, breaking down the meaning of Emmanuel. In each of the three words that describe its meaning, God with us, are incredibly weighty. And so I'm going to spend one week on each of these words. And so today the focus is on the word God found in this phrase, God with us. And in this one word used to describe Jesus, here's the reality that we find. It's this baby born in a manger is not just a good person. He is not just a moral teacher. He is not just a prophet. He is God. And so this is the subject today that Jesus is God. And I have three desires as we consider this truth that Jesus is God. First, I want us to be intellectually stretched. Secondly, I want us to be immensely encouraged. And thirdly, I desire for us to be incredibly moved. And so for starters, I want us to be intellectually stretched as we meditate on the truth that Jesus is God. And what I mean is that I don't want us, because of our familiarity with the Christmas story, to just blow past the truth uh, as profound as this. It really deserves our attention, and I want us to really think about this truth today. Well, in verse 21 of our text, we read that the angel instructs Joseph to name the child Jesus. And this is the name that he has called throughout his life, and Jesus means the Lord saves. Thus, his name describes what he does. Look at verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In ancient times, uh, names really meant something. 
Today we don't give much thought to what we name our children in the sense of the meaning. We choose names that sound good or flow uh, with our last name or, you know, a popular thing to do today is to name all your children or give them all names that start with the same first letter. But in ancient times, the meaning of a name was very, very significant. And so Jesus is given his name because it means the Lord saves and this is the reason that he came to earth. It describes what he does. And so this is incredible. And here's what I'm thankful for. I'm grateful that Jesus has lived up to his name, that he is indeed the Lord that has saved us from our sins. And, and the name Jesus, you see, specifies what he does. And the title Emmanuel specifies who he is. He is God with us. So where did this name Emmanuel come from? Well, if you go back to the book of Isaiah 7, 14, centuries before, we find this prophecy of the virgin birth in which Isaiah declares, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And this prophecy is now attributed to the birth of Jesus here in Matthew 1, 23. And here is why this claim is so incredible. Dr. Keller points out that for centuries, many Jews had known this prophecy found here in Isaiah, but they did not expect it to be taken literally. Certainly, they expected a Messiah. And in this, they were awaiting a great leader through whom God would work, and through whose work, figuratively speaking, God would be present with his people. And then Keller goes on to say, quote, Matthew is saying that this promise is greater than anyone ever imagined. It came, it came true not figuratively, but literally. Jesus Christ is God with us because the human life growing in the womb of Mary was a miracle performed by God himself. This child is literally God, end quote. And first century Jews would have been the last people to believe the claim that a human being could be God. I mean, this is a radical claim. Eastern religions would have had no trouble accepting this as they are pantheists, believing that God is a force in everything, uh, believing that some people are avatars, which are manifestations of the God force. They would have had no trouble believing that a human being could be God. And then many of you are, are likely familiar with, with the ancient Greeks and Romans who were polytheists. In other words, they believed in many gods, and they believed that these gods could dress up as a human being and could come down to earth. But first century Jews were strongly opposed to the idea that a human being could be God. And yet, Jesus Christ, through his birth, his life, his, his death, his resurrection, he convinced his closest Jewish followers, one of them being Matthew, that he was not just a prophet, but God himself come to us. And this is an incredible claim, and it is the meaning of Christmas. Now, now the teaching that Jesus is God is found throughout the Bible, not just here in, in Matthew. Let me give you a couple examples here. John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Uh, through Him all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that had been made. And then we go down to verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so you, you notice in verse one, he's, he, he's saying here in this, in these verses that Jesus is God, is the word. And he says in verse one, that the word was God. So he certainly is affirming that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a good teacher, but that he is indeed God. Now this is incredible because John was very, very close to Jesus. He is the beloved disciple. And if I was going to convince somebody that I was perfect, I certainly would not start with those who are closest to me because they are the ones who know my faults. Uh, they know my weaknesses. You know, I, I would not try to first convince my wife, for instance, that I was perfect. But John, who is with Jesus so much throughout his life, he affirms that Jesus is God. And this is incredible. And then we go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1. We find another example. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness, now watch what he says, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter again affirms that Jesus is God. And you know, these claims would not hold much weight if Jesus himself did not claim deity. But he did, in fact, make these same claims about himself often. Let me give you just a couple examples. Uh, John 14, 7, Jesus says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then often, you know, Jesus claims to be able to forgive sins, which means he is uh, claiming to be God. And then not only does Jesus claim uh, to be God, but his life lines up with the claim. For instance, he never sinned. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, talking about Jesus, who has been tempted in all things as we were, yet without sin. Only God could live a sinless and perfect life while on this earth. We know also that he's God because he rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15.17 And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then let's go back to this. Why did the first century Jews, like Jesus' disciples, who would have had a very difficult time believing that any human being could be God, why did they worship him as God? Why would they be willing to lose their lives over this claim? The only plausible answer is this. They absolutely believed it because Jesus' life lined up with the claims that were made. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. This truth that God himself became a human being to seek and save the lost. Other religions say that human morality is good enough. In other words, if you can, if you can make the right choices, if you live a good enough life, and you know, different religions have a different set of standards, but essentially they say if you, if you make the right choices, if you live a good enough life, you can make it. You can get to heaven. You can get to God. But Christianity, on the other hand, exclusively teaches that we are a depraved people unable to save ourselves. Matthew 5, verse 3, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And to be poor in spirit is to realize that we cannot save ourselves and that we need a Savior. 
And you know, God did not send a committee to earth. He did not send an angel to earth. He did not just send a prophet. But God came to us himself to do for us what we could never do on our own. Jesus was not just a prophet coming to earth to tell us how to get to God, but he is God in flesh. God come to us. He is God with us. This is incredibly good news for us. And this means we don't have to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, so to speak. God came to us. God is holy and he is just. So, you know, our sin could not just be overlooked. It had to be dealt with. But God is also loving and he knows we could never climb up to him. He knows we could never take care of our own sin problem. So he came down to us and he takes care of our sin problem through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is the hope that is found in Christmas. And this should be the essence of our Christmas joy. And as we consider the truth that Jesus is God and we consider the hope therein, we should be number three, not just immensely encouraged, but incredibly moved. Now, when I say I want us to be moved, I do want our hearts to be awakened as I've talked about, but I don't just want us to be moved emotionally. This truth that Jesus is God should move us to action. Because of what Jesus did and the claims of who he is, everywhere he went during his earthly ministry, he evoked extreme reactions. And this only makes sense. Let me give you some examples. You know, there are some people upon encountering Jesus who dropped everything to follow him. One example of this is Simon Peter. You remember uh, Peter was a, a fisherman and he was out fishing all night long, caught nothing, and he was frustrated and he was cleaning his net. And uh, Jesus comes up to him and he says, hey, I want you to cast your boat out and I, I want you to cast your net uh, uh, one more time. And Jesus or Peter kind of reluctantly uh, obeys him and, and does what he asks. And, and he, he casts his net again and he pulls it up to find that there's an overflow of multiple of, fi of fish. And he is absolutely amazed. And so here's what the, the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man of Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. So this is an incredible response. You know, these men were so amazed at encountering Jesus that at first they were fearful and then that fear turned to a radical decision to drop everything and follow him. And, you know, I think of other people, for instance, Mary Magdalene, who had been delivered from these evil spirits. She, she dropped everything and she just began to follow Jesus wherever he went. And, you know, so, so many people dropped what they were doing. They, they, they walked away from the things that were important to them, and they followed Jesus. I mean, this is extreme. And then there are those who, who just fell down um, right where they were and began to worship Jesus. And I, as we're in the Christmas season, you know, one instance that comes to mind is found in Mark 2.11, the Magi. And the, the Bible says that going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold uh, and frankincense and myrrh. So, so they fell down and they, they worshiped this child. And, and, and this says that, yes, uh, Jesus is God. And, and in response to that truth, uh, 
they fell down and they worshipped him. I think about Luke 7, the sinful woman who kind of barged in on this religious meeting at Simon the Pharisee's house, and she fell down at his feet and began to worship him and just weep at his feet. And then you think about the disciples, you know, these uh, these disciples who worship Jesus, Matthew 14, 33, this is after Jesus walked on the water. The Bible says that those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. So many people, I mean, this is extreme. They, they worshiped him. And this claim that Jesus is Lord and his life that lined up with this, I mean, it, it should evoke this kind of reaction. But then on the other side of the coin, there were those who absolutely despised him. You know, you think of the Pharisees, many of whom wanted to get rid of him. I mean, he got into their business. He he told them the truth. You know, he called them whitewashed tombs. They were very religious people on the outside. But he said, you know, on the inside, your hearts are far from God. And so they didn't like him. They wanted him uh, gone. And then you remember the crowds of people that that unfortunately shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. My point is that Jesus always evokes extreme reactions. Either people fear him or they worship him or they despise him. And this is still true today. I mean, you can, you, in, in this modern culture, there are those, um, there, there are the faithful Christians who still love, love Jesus Christ. And, and they leave everything, um, to, and they surrender everything to him, and they worship him. And I hope that's the response that you've had. But there are those in this modern society today that despise Jesus. They despise the claim that he is the only way to heaven. They despise thinking about him being Lord of their lives. And, and they, in a sense, run from him. And then there are those who run to him. Well, why these extremes? It's because of who he says he is. He claims to be God, and this demands a radical response. If he is who he says he is, and by the way, that's what I strongly believe, then we should have no other response than to center our lives around him. On the other hand, if he's not who he says he is, then he is someone to run away from. To quote Keller one more time, he says, quote, either Jesus is absolutely crazy or he's infinitely wonderful, end quote. And we know that he is infinitely wonderful. I bring this all out because there's absolutely no in-between in, in really being confronted with the message of Jesus and, and the fact that he is God. It should invoke in every one of us this kind of extreme reaction one way or the other. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, presented this trifecta when it comes to Jesus, giving us three options, saying he's either a liar or a lunatic or, or Lord. You know, there are some who, who say that, well, Jesus was a good teacher, or he was a moral person, or he was a, even a prophet, but, but they deny that he's Lord. And this just doesn't make sense, because if he were a, a good teacher, he would not claim to be Lord if it were not true. It would make him a liar. Or if he believed it and it wasn't true, he would be a lunatic. The only logical response is if he's teaching that, and he is a good teacher, and if he is a prophet, then he is indeed Lord. So there's no option. Either he is a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. And we know that he is Lord. He is who he says he is. And if we really believe that, if we really hold to the true meaning of Christmas, we should be moved to extreme action. Either we run away from him because we don't want him ruling our lives, like the man who loved riches more than Jesus, 
or we run to him. And this is what I hope your response is to him. We center our lives around him. We worship him. We treasure him above all things. We honor him. One or the other, but this kind of aloofness or this half-heartedness that is in so many American churches, that so many American quote-unquote Christians approach him with, this is just not acceptable. Jesus is God. He came down to us as a human being because we could never make it up to him. He came to seek and to save the lost. He gave his life for us. How in the world can we be apathetic or indifference towards him, indifferent towards him. So I hope today that you're extremely moved, that your heart is awakened by the real meaning of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. See, don't, don't just try to uh, fit him in your schedule. Uh, don't just run to him um, a, a couple times a week, but your life ought to be centered around Jesus Christ. Have you really yielded yourself to Jesus? I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian. Yes, it's believing in him. Yes, it's putting your faith in him. But to do that means that we yield ourselves completely to him. And if you haven't done this, I pray that you will call upon him today, that you'll fall down and worship him, that you will turn your life over to him today. In closing, uh, there's a... a, a man by the name of John Wesley, who is the great founder of the Methodist Church. And he uttered these last words on his deathbed. He said, the best of all is God with us. And he was at this point in his life frail, I mean, moments away from dying. And he didn't just say this once, but he repeated it again. He said, the best of all is God with us. And you know, I love several things about Christmas. I love the nostalgia I love the times with family. I love the cold weather. I love the meals and the endless cookies and even the fruitcake. I love exchanging gifts with those who I, I, I love. I love decorations. I love the singing. But the best of Christmas, and by the way, the best of all, is God with us. Let me pray for you. God, in Jesus' name, I, I come to you and I thank you that you came to this earth to seek and save the lost. I thank you that you sent your only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Father, I, I thank you for the incredible love that you have shown to us in this, that you have not just declared for love for us, but you have demonstrated also that love for us in this radical way. And I pray that our response to this love would be to run to you, that our hearts would be awakened to the beauty of the Christmas message, and that this Christmas would be different than anyone in times past, that above fellowships and traditions and, uh, and, and family gatherings and just an abundance of food, that, Father, we would treasure you most and that we would glorify you in all that's said and done. We love you and we thank you. For all these things, in Jesus' good and precious name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. I pray this has been a blessing to you. And I hope to see you at church this Sunday at 1045 Real Life Community Church, 335 Glendon Avenue. To find more of our sermons, you can find them online at myrealchurch.org.